morning, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, verse uh, 15, and uh, we've kind of been looking at uh, biblical foundation series, and um, just kind of going through some of the very simple things here uh, in Genesis, and uh, I was really praying about this week, I had several messages that I was uh, contemplating earlier in the week, I was I had to make a quick trip back down and uh, down to the city, and uh, there were some errands to run, some things to do down there, and as I was driving back and just listening to, uh, I had my Bible going, and just listening to some scriptures, listening to some uh, other things, and just reflecting upon God, and as we reflect upon the Lord and understand what it is that He expects of us. Now, we as believers know that the first thing that God expects of us, of all people, is to come to Jesus Christ for salvation. But this morning, I want to discuss choosing your boss, and I will have part two, uh, Lord willing, this evening, and we'll conclude it, Lord willing, on that. And, uh, but when we think about work, think about labor and toil, wherever you're working, whether you're working from home or at home, working out in the public sector, uh, you are working. And work has always been a part of God's economy. And I want to show you that. It's an amazing study, an amazing thing. And this is, again, a very brief overview of this idea of laboring for God. And uh, William Sidney Porter, better known by his pen name, O. Henry, became one of the most popular authors in America at the turn of the last century. He wrote for years, but his literary career took off from a most unlikely place, prison. Porter had been convicted of embezzlement from the bank where he had worked in Texas, although there is some evidence that it was not theft but carelessness that led to the loss of funds. And he was sentenced to five years in prison while there. He wrote and published some of his best-known stories, establishing himself as a premier author. In his interaction with others, O. Henry displayed the same wit that filled his stories. It is said that once when he attempted to get a royalty check from a New York publisher without success, he went to the office of this publisher to try and collect in person only to be told that the person who signed the checks was not available because of a sprained ankle. My dear sir, O. Henry said, does he sign them with his feet? When we are trying to avoid doing something we don't want to do, almost any excuse will suffice. Rather than looking for reasons to avoid the tasks that are set before us, we should be faithful and diligent about our work. End quotes. God created Adam and Eve, noting them as very good. He gave them a task of multiplying and stewarding this earth. There was perfection in the Garden of Eden, but there was still work to do. There was still an authority to listen to. I'd like you to follow along with me in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. I want you to consider the circumstances with which God makes 
these commands. There was absolute perfection. There was no sin. There was complete harmony with his wife. But in this perfection, God still has work to do. And we will find this theme from the beginning of Genesis to the end of the book of Revelation. There will always be work to do. Now, the matter of the heart is to whom you're serving as your boss when you're working. The thought for many is that the Christian life is all that one needs to do and be Right? We think about this. All I need to do is be faithful to my job and faithful to my family. Have an abiding relationship with God, and that's all I need to do. That's a thought by many believers. If I'm a Christian, and I go to work, and I provide for my family, and I have my daily time with God and the devotions with Him, I am a good Christian. And to that I will say, the Bible says otherwise. And I'll explain that. Does God expect more from us? Does the Scripture indicate anything else? But as we look at Scripture, there is no part in God's economy, in God's plan from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, where there is not work to do. Now, just because you're working does not mean you're necessarily working for the Lord. And I will explain that as we go along. From the Garden of Eden to Israel building the tabernacle, to the Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles reaching Israel, to the New Testament churches seeking to make disciples, and on into eternity, we find the principle of laboring for God. As a believer, you have an obligation to serve the Lord Jesus Christ rather than sitting back on one's laurels. Faithfulness is an act of work. Now, I'd like you to look with me at Romans chapter 2 this morning. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. We'll read verses 5 through 11. You are either working in a manner that pleases God, or you're working in a manner that displeases Him. Whether you're working in the secular section, whether you're working at home, in the caring for children, uh, whether you're in the ministry, every act of our labors... There is a focus of how I'm working. Because we're, we, we have to work. In Romans chapter 2, verse 5, it says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render... To every man according to his deeds. So there is a compensation. Let's try that again. Compensation that God gives to us. It says in verse 7 To them who by patient continuance in well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But then that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, 
tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first, and also of the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace be to every man that worketh good. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. God's saying, I don't care what culture you're from. I don't care if you're a man. I don't care if you're a woman. He says, listen, I am going to render to every person according to how you're working. Who you are and which culture you're a part of are of no bearing to the Lord. The question you need to ask yourself is, am I fulfilling the work that God has called me to do? Every person has a responsibility to God. That is beyond just being born again. There is a direct command from God. The question this day is, will you answer his calling? God does have a calling to your home to take care of your family. That is a necessity. He does have a place for you to be employed, whether at home with the kids, out in the public, in the ministry, so on and so forth. He has a job also for you to do within the local church. Will you seek God's demands for work and get employed in his workforce? Or will you stay unemployed and waste your life? And when I say unemployed, I'm not talking necessarily secularly. I'm saying, will you get in the service of the Lord? Work is a requirement for life and eternity. And we must stop living for ourselves and instead choose God as our boss and let him decide my wages. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. Father, I thank you for each and every person that's here this morning. Father, as we think about, even in the most beautiful, wonderful place that has existed up to this point there in the Garden of Eden, Father, there was work to do. Many times we're looking for rest in our own uh, means of understanding. Father, we are looking to run from troubles under our own wisdom. And Father, sometimes the battles that are before us, we're running from the very labors you've called us to labor through, not from. Father, I pray today that each and every one of us would choose our boss and let it be you. Father, I love you. God, I commit this morning to you. I do need your help. Father, if there's anyone that has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray that's the first decision that they would make to get into the service of the greatest King of Kings. Father, I love you and thank you for this day. Help us to be found faithful. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. The question that we think about, what is the purpose of... Of work. I'd like you to look with me at Proverbs uh, chapter 6. Now we understand some of the, the rudimentary understanding uh, of work. Proverbs chapter 6, God has given us a great illustration uh, on work in the, in the lives and the actions uh, of the ant. I mean, you think ants, uh, yes, they can be annoying carpenter ants. They're ruining the wood uh, of whatever structure we had them in one of our, our uh, sheds that we had out back. And I'm trying to put out this stuff to get rid of the ants, you know, because I'm like, don't eat my wood of my shed, you know. And, uh, but uh, the ants are there. 
What is, it provides a purpose for life. Work does. There's a lot of destruction that happens all around us because of idleness. People don't have a purpose for life. They don't realize I am to work. Now, I'm just talking merely from a, uh, a physical understanding. Every one of us needs to work. The idea of staying home and, and not doing anything or uh, not having a, a, a routine of being employed. Whether, you know, like a, a mother that stays home with her kids. That's a very full-time job. That's, a, that's an overtime job. Or you go to the workplace, but we need to work. In Proverbs chapter 6, go to the, verse 6, it says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. He's saying lazy person. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber. A little folding of the hands of sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. You know, sometimes you can sleep so much that you feel tired from sleeping so much. Have you ever had that happen? You're like, man, I just need some rest. So you start sleeping, and then you're like, man, I'm so tired, I need to sleep again. And you end up sleeping large portions of your day for days on end if, if you have the availability to do such. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you only go to work to pay your bills, have a few extra dollars left over to purchase some nice things with which to engage your hobbies? Do you work to only provide for your family? Is your labor constrained to the bulk of your life to earn wages, store up some wealth, if possible, and then die? What is the motivation for why you work? For many, it might be to eat, to drink, to be merry, and then die. If you do not discover why you work and to whom you're working for, you will miss out on the rewards and blessings of life. I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. <coughs> Excuse me. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 15. Now this is Solomon in a backslidden stage. If you remember, Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines, wealth untold, and he worked a lot. But he ended up putting his labors in the wrong place. We get a very narrow temporary focus that I'm working to pay my bills, to put some food on the table, to have some money to, to go on holidays and, and to go on and, and uh, you know, maybe have some hobbies, whatever I choose, and, and have some comfort. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but there is some things biblically wrong with that. And I'll explain that. If that is your only soul Focus, and that's the key there, soul focus. So in Sol, excuse me, Solomon, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 15, he says, Then I commended mirth, because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry. For that shall abide with him of his labor the days of his life, which God giveth him under the sun. He's saying, listen, all there is to life is eat, drink, and be merry. You know, that's a pretty depressing outlook. 
If I think all I'm going to do is I'm going to eat, I'm going to put some food on the table, I'm going to drink, I'm going to enjoy some time with friends, and I'm going to be merry. In chapter 9, verse 5, follow along with me in his continued state here of a backslidden understanding of God. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, neither have they any more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. You know what? We live our lives however many years. 60, 70, 80, 10, 20, and so forth. And we think, I'm going to have a lasting legacy. But do you know what? Most people, by the time we've left this earth, our legacy might last maybe one generation more. Maybe two. Potentially, rarely, three generations. Verse 7. Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart, for God now accepteth thy works. He's saying, is, is this really all there is to life? Chapter verse, and then society thinks, verse 10, whatsoever the hand findeth to do, doeth thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. I mean, what's, the, what's society's thought? Work hard, play hard, die. You can't take your toys with you. But we find something happening in Luke chapter 12. Jesus, turn with me here to Luke chapter 12, verse 19. And maybe this is an appropriate message at this time of year as we think about all the gifts and things that may be given to those we love and care for and so on and so forth, friends and family. But why are we working? We always think, I'm waiting for rest. When I get to heaven, I will rest. But I'm sorry to tell you that the Bible tells us We'll, yes, we'll rule and reign with Christ, but we'll also serve God. So there's still work to do. So there's work in the garden before sin. There's work after the garden in sin. And there's work out of the garden, out of sin in heaven. But so the whole thing and every aspect and every dispensation that we look at is where is my mind? Where's my thoughts? Where's my heart? Now, it's not necessarily, uh, when we're in heaven, we don't have the same sinful nature we're fighting with. We don't have the same uh, adversity and temptations. We get to serve God with a heart, and we get to fellowship with Him with a heart without temptations. So it's different. But we're still working. In Luke chapter 12, verse 19, And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. What is it? Save up for retirement, and then I'll relax. I'll get a nice little house, a nice little property, some acreage, and I'll eat, drink, and be merry, and I'll I'll go off into the sunset with my nice little place of comfort. Verse 20, but God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? You've worked for your little plot of land to be quiet from the noise in the wickedness of the day. God says, listen, you're going to die. Where's your stuff going to go? What's going to happen with all your belongings? Verse 21, 
so is he that layeth up treasure for himself. We are, our society now with the inflation and everything, I mean, the whole market, the whole financial market is unbelievably unstable right now. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I want to ask you this morning, are you rich towards God? Is labor and work a product of the fall of man? Is it constrained to the time of a fallen nature or is work for all of eternity? I've answered that question already. How do we know that in God's eternal economy there is always work to do? Going back to our main passage in Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. Really, the, the question here is, what are you working for? So many are caught up with trying to get the newest and the greatest and the best And they do so with great injury uh, to their time because of the financial obligations they have to suit uh, their lusts. I've been reading in Psalm 78, God gave Israel meat for their lusts. They were not happy with the, the, the manna. They wanted meat for their lusts, and God gave them to it. But it cost them. And here in Genesis 2, 5, And every plant of the field, before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field, before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to what? Till the ground. God's given us work to do. Verse 15, As I had mentioned, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. This idea of till... Uh, as we found in verse 5, or dress, uh, to dress it, verse 15, that's the same Hebrew word, but it means to toil with, to work, to cultivate the soil. In the Bible, when God commanded for there to be no work, if you look in the scriptures, when God says, I want no work, there's two things happening. Number one, it's a bowl for, to be given for sacrifice. He says, I want to, in Deuteronomy 15, 19, um, thou shalt do no work with the first thing of thy bullock. So th- there's a bull with whom they're going to sacrifice. I don't think I want to be a sacrifice. It's the first time he says, I want no work. The second time uh, is on the Sabbath day, but how will the Sabbath day do no work therein? The second, when God says, I don't want any work, he says, I want you to worship me. So there's still a focus of the heart. Now the question is, after Adam and Eve sinned, I'm just kind of laying some foundation, getting us to think, Before sin, there was work to do, okay? That's the first start point. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. After Adam and Eve, they eat that fruit, whatever that fruit was, is there work to do? Verse 17 of Genesis chapter 3. Was there work to do? Did man lose his responsibility to care for and steward this earth? He did not lose his responsibility. So the answer is no, he did not lose his responsibility. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. And unto Adam, so this is God bestowing the judgment upon Adam and Eve after eating the fruit. And to Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. 
Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. What did sin do? Sin only made work harder, but it did not remove the need to work. Verse 23, Genesis 3. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. God says, listen, you're no longer allowed to the tree of life, but you're still to work. And it's going to be harder. You're going to have thorns and thistles. I want you to remember the sinful nature. You're going to have those pesky little bugs. You go out into the bush in the summertime, and those bugs, they love you. I mean, you're a buffet for them to feast on. So after man's fall, did man lose his accountability before God? The answer to that is no. Look at me at Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. (coughs) Excuse me. So this is after the flood, Genesis 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. What's God saying? Still work. Still till the ground. Still dress it. Now he does say, Genesis chapter 9, verse 3, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. Verse 7, and you be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly the earth and multiply there. So you still have to work the earth. There's still this idea of an agrarian or farmer type idea. Now, did God change his desire for man to be in, in communication with him? No. We have God in communication with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We have in Genesis chapter 4, when Cain is jealous of, of Abel, uh, God comes and he talks with him. Communicate, God had communication with Abraham and Jacob and Moses, the prophets, uh, Jesus, the apostles, and even today with the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. Is man still accountable before God, even as originally given in Genesis 2.15? To the answer, uh, I say yes. God is watching over his people and watching our labor. Genesis 4, 6, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? He says, Cain, why are you working with a bad countenance? He's saying, why are you going to work and you're angry? Why are you going to work angry? Frustrated. In Proverbs 16, 2, All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. God is looking at your spirit as you work. You know what? You choose your boss. You choose where you work. But the real question is, so why is it that God created man? He created the bounds of earth. He created the bounds of a relationship and a sustained accountability to himself. Would he not desire our reciprocal love and affection for him? If God has called you to do something, he is the creator and you are the responsible party. Do the situations of your life change your accountability or your purpose before God to work for him? Do circumstances change your accountability and your purpose before God? Do they? I mean, that's a real answer. Do circumstances. Sometimes people say, well, God will understand me in this situation. 
Where does God change? Where does God change? You know, we look at our deficiencies, we look at our hardship as a reason to not carry through with what we know we are to do. With what God has commanded us. Even the hardships of Adam did not diminish his responsibility before God. All it did was make life more difficult. In Romans 9.20, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Your trials and tribulations and challenges of life are part of the master's molding of the clay as you labor in life. As the Lord God Almighty crafted and formed Adam and Eve, he is forming you and working on you as you labor through life. Your resistance to God and your resistance to get involved with what God wants you to get involved with, all it does is cause additional headaches. It doesn't abdicate your responsibility. It doesn't remove what God wants you to do. It doesn't change the fact that God has a purpose for your life. He loves you. And as you allow him to mold your life, you'll do great things for him. But you've got to understand who's your boss. Before James Garfield, who was a president, went into politics and became president, he taught at what is now Hiram College in Ohio. The ambidextrous Garfield would amuse his students by writing on a chalkboard with both hands, one in Greek and the other in Latin. That's amazing, at the same time. It is said that on one occasion, a father came to Garfield and complained that the academic course of the school was too long and arduous and asked if it could be shortened. Certainly, Garfield replied, but it all depends on what you want to make of your boy. When God wants to make an oak tree, he takes a hundred years. When he wants to make a squash, he requires only two months. In a world with people looking for shortcuts to success and ways to avoid work, we are called by God to work patiently, diligently, and consistently. Regardless of what those around us do, we have the responsibility to labor and work hard. This is the only path to true and lasting success. There are no shortcuts in God's economy. End quotes. Source for that, John Maxwell. <laughs> do you want a shortcut and be a squash? Or do you want to work through whatever God allows in your life that you could be a hardened, strong oak tree? You know what? In Jeremiah 18.6, we are still in God's hand as a believer as we're laboring through life. You go to work. You're serving your family. You're serving in church. You're serving in society. He says, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O, hand of, o house of Israel. I want you to think about a stained glass window. When you look at a stained glass window, it is comprised of various pieces of glass, all of different shapes and sizes. And when you think about this, a, a all this stained glass window, beautiful stained glass window. And you think about each portion of, the, of that window is potentially maybe a, an area of your life. Think about this, and just a few questions for you, and I'll continue with this analogy of the uh, stained glass window. But was Adam to quit working after the fall? No. Was Eve to quit working after the fall? Genesis 3.16. No. 
She was, it gives us the service here. Genesis 3.16, right? And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, he shall rule over thee. So there's, there's not a, did they have a purpose? Did Adam and Eve have a purpose to accomplish? Yes. No. Now, they were not useful to God after the fall because of a separated relationship until the sacrifice of redemption had been made. They, God killed an animal, he put the skins on them. That's when God began to speak with them. Uh, further, you know, and uh, that, that reconciled relationship. Now, God did ask, Adam, where art you? You know, where art thou? He did ask them before that, before he'd done the uh, uh, lamb's redemption. But they had received their gift. When the designer of a stained glass window puts all of the pieces together with their various shapes and sizes, what happens? A beautiful piece of art emerges. It is work to put a masterpiece together. Now, is work required? We live in a day and age, many times, where there's a lot of uh, uh, living uh, where people say, well, I can't work. Rather than trying to find out how they can work with whatever their physical capabilities are, we say, I can't work. 1 Timothy 5, 8, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the face and is worse than an infidel. God's saying, if you don't work... Work is required. He says, if you don't work, you're worse than a lost person, an infidel, someone who hates God. That's a pretty stark thing. So God's called us to, number one, be workers. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. This whole entitlement mentality is completely contrary to Scripture. Now, I understand taking care of those who are physically uh, incapable of providing. I understand that. The question we ask as this master artist is putting a stained glass window together is where do I fit in the picture of God making a masterpiece? Does one size of glass matter more than another piece in a stained glass window? Don't all of the pieces corporately matter? They do. If one of the pieces of stained glass window is missing, will it really matter? Yeah, because you'll have a hole in your window. You'll have wind and elements coming through. But a piece of glass in the stained glass window, as all the pieces are maybe there, they're all cut out, they're all ready, in and of themselves, those pieces of glass in their unfinished, un constructed form are necessarily of no great use. But you piece them all together and a beautiful window and art form is created. As the sun radiates through the molded frame, a beautiful array of colors beams on the floor around them. How does this illustration fit with the spiritual principle of building a foundation upon the Creator and finding my identity? Look with me at John chapter 6. We put a lot of pieces into our lives. But many times there's pieces that are still left unused. We provide for our families. That's noble, but so do the secular world. We go to the work. We care for our families. We pay our taxes. We work hard. That's all what the world does. In Luke chapter, not Luke, 
John, John chapter 6. Sorry if I said Luke, I meant John. John chapter 6. I turned to Luke as well, so John chapter 6. <coughs> Excuse me. John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Many times we're just driven by what goes into our mouth, right? The food I can eat. We're driven in our momentum for the Lord by what goes in our mouth. But Jesus, he says, listen, verse 27, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Are you laboring in life for just the meat that you consume? Just the hobbies and activities you can partake of? Or are you laboring for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life? How are you working for God? Here's a calling to labor. For eternal meat unto everlasting life. Is there still a calling to labor today? And I will say to that an emphatic yes. Look with me at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 verse 8. Galatians 6 8. For he that soweth to his flesh... So you're working, you're just serving for yourself to build up something for yourself, shall of the flesh, that's all the stuff we're working for this life. He who has the most toys wins, as society says. I've seen that on many a bumper of a, you know, the rear of a truck or whatever. Uh, you know, a souped up truck lifted and all the bells and whistles on it. He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh, what do you get with all your toys and all your hard labors? The Bible says you reap corruption. You get more bills. You get more responsibility to this earth. That's it. That's all you get. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. If I'm laboring for God, whether it's in my workplace, whether it's out in society, wherever, if I'm re doing it for God, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We know that God has a purpose for creating human life. God has placed His imprint upon humanity, of, of his authorship through the human conscience. God gave humanity a responsibility to achieve. He gave work for morally and, uh, to the morally and, and perfect, spiritually perfect Adam and Eve. He gave them to work to do in the garden. He gives us work to do. Now, sin did not stop God's demand for laboring. It never did. I want to take you with, and I'll make this my final point this morning, and I'll have to uh, continue with this, uh, but in Revelation chapter 22, but as I said here in Galatians 6, sowing to your flesh, it only reaps 
earthly rewards. Everything on earth will one day decay. Everything. Even an individual with whom the funeral home may embalm their body will in time decay. That body will. The casket will. My wife's uncle had someone that cleared the land, uh, their back property. He's got a whole bunch of acreage. And uh, took all these trees, cut them down, put a big hole, and buried all the trees. Well, some years later, he ended up having huge sinkholes because those trees decayed and left big gaps in the ground. Everything decays. You can work your entire life, work your tail off. And at the end of the day, all you have left is corruption. That's a pretty... And I'm not trying to be negative this morning, but I want to ask you, what are you working for? Because if I'm not working for the meat which does not perish, and I don't have my mindset upon God, I'm going to make a little bit of appeal to what I'm going to speak about this evening. If I don't have a mindset of laboring for God, everything I do in my life, at the end of my life, it's going to vanish. We can rack up tremendous responsibilities, financial and all sorts of things that begin to control our lives. At the end of my life, none of that's going to matter. How many toys do you have? God's not going to be like, oh great, you had a lot of toys. He's not going to think about that. The question is, is there even work to do in eternity? Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God of the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life. What happened in the garden? They were kicked out of the tree of life. What happens in the end? We're welcomed back into the tree of life. We come full circle. Was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation? And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall, what does it say? Serve him. Why don't I make a decision now to serve God with my life now as I'm going to do in eternity? When you're at your workplace having an ungodly, cruel, wicked boss, your labor is not for the cruel, wicked boss. You're laboring for God. He's the one you serve. Verse 5. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. My friend, I get to serve God, but I get to reign with Him. Who's your boss today? You realize this, in Acts 17, God tells us, uh, verse 26 of Acts 17, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. God says, you all bleed red. I don't care what part of this world you come from, what your culture is, I do not care who you are, 
You were made by the Creator for a purpose and laboring and knowing and wherever you are, however high or low you are on this earth, one day we will reign with Jesus Christ for eternity. I get to serve Him. But so often I am stuck in laboring for the meat and the things of this world which perish. And I'm frustrated, and I'm irritated, and I'm angry, and I'm sad, and I'm depressed. Our world, with all the advent of all the technology, is not becoming a happier place. And we as Christians get sucked into this boss of the world. For years... Leo Tolstoy searched for an answer to the question, what's the purpose of life? He addressed it to many of his contemporaries. No one gave him a satisfactory answer. Then one day he met a peasant friend who, upon listening to the well-worn query, immediately replied, to serve God. Whereupon the Russian literary genius declared it to be the highest wisdom he had ever encountered. My opening verse I'll speak about this evening, but to tie this, to bring this to a close. Proverbs 16.3, turn with me here. I'd encourage you, come back tonight. Let's look at verse 1. The preparation of the heart and man, and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the Spirit. So God's evaluating uh, why we're working. What does it say, verse 3? What's the first word? Commit. Commit what? Thy works. And to the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Christian, I'm missing out on the fruit of the Spirit and what God wants to do in my life because I'm laboring for the meat that perisheth. I'm laboring for the boss. I'm laboring for the government to pay my taxes. I'm laboring to pay uh, to fix up my house, fix up my car. I'm laboring for all of this. Those things always take from you. They don't give back. I know you might get a little bit of check from the government. You might get a little satisfaction from a vehicle or a house or other. But I want to tell you, none of those things can help me in eternity. Not one. You invest yourself into the lives of others to come to know Jesus Christ. You raise your children to love and serve Jesus Christ. Now you've made an eternal difference. We get so caught up in laboring for the meat that perisheth that I forget to labor for God. And as a result, I don't commit my works unto the Lord and my thoughts are not established. And I am bound to be like everyone else in society with all the mental you know, imbalance. But as a believer... If I can settle the decision, I'm going to commit my works to you. I'm going to give you all of my heart, right? Thou shalt love the Lord the God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind. 
I commit my works to the Lord, and the promise is your thoughts will be established. So your crabby, cranky, whatever boss you have in the secular world, you're not laboring for them. You're laboring for the King of Kings. You're laboring for the ultimate employer. You're not laboring to pay your taxes. You're laboring for Jesus. If you choose your boss right, then you'll reap the blessings of God. I'm not saying you'll necessarily be wealthy, healthy, and wise, but I am saying God will establish your thoughts. Stop laboring for the meat which perisheth and start laboring for the meat which endureth into life everlasting. As we come to the time of invitation, if I could have Mrs. Pat come forward, please. I want to ask you this morning, who are you working for? Who are you working for? What are you doing with your life? At the end of your life, you're going to say, man, I worked a lot for myself. I didn't work for Jesus. You know, you're going to have a lot of regrets if you're a believer. The first thing you need to do, if you're going to do anything for God, is you must come to him in salvation, understanding you are a lost sinner before God, and you need Jesus Christ to forgive you of all your sins. You cannot work hard enough to get to heaven. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and be your Savior. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't, get to, you can't work your way to heaven. It's not going to be to get to heaven and say how good I've been for a life and how many good things I've done for God. God says, listen, I don't want a whole bunch of prideful, arrogant, boasting people in heaven. They're not welcome. Jesus said, I paid it all. Will you receive a gift? And second of all, if you're a Christian this morning, Who is your boss and why do you work and how do you work and who do you work for when you're working? As the music plays, I trust you do business with God. Take some time. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Who are you working for? through one more time, goes through the chorus, I trust, really evaluate, who are you working for? What are you doing with your life? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. Father, I pray that the challenge this morning 
Lord would evoke in us a revival of the need and the thought, Lord, that we ought to serve You with our lives. God, this is not just applying to the pastor in full-time ministry or a missionary. This applies to every person in every sector of life to understand that the work that we're doing is either perishing or it is increasing in interest for eternity. Father, help us to be faithful and obedient, to commit our works to You. Lord, have our thoughts established and have meat for life everlasting. Lord, thank You for this gift. Thank You for the wisdom from Your book. God, may we bring glory to Thy holy name. And Lord, I pray if anyone is not certain of their salvation, whomever may be watching, God, I pray they'd call out to You today. Thank you for your challenge from your book. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God.